Greetings! Episode 16 of the NASPO Pulse, a podcast where you're monitoring issues in state procurement. We've got our finger on the pulse. I'm your host, Kevin Miner, and it's another wonderful day in the NASPO neighborhood. The sun's shining, the trees are turning colors, fall is in the air. It's my favorite time of year. I'm a big fan of pumpkin spice, anything really, candles, coffee, whatever, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. Today on The Pulse, we have a procurement titan, folks, NASPO's very own chief learning officer, Diane Lancaster, is joining us. Diane has a myriad of accomplishments under her belt. The most recent of which is receiving NASPO's very prestigious Mizone Distinguished Service Award. That award recognizes service on a continuing exemplary basis to the public purchasing profession. Diane has decades of experience in public service, including being the Chief Procurement Officer for the State of Oregon and past NASPO Board President. Diane is retiring at the end of 2020. So, we spent a little extra time discussing her experiences and how she got into public procurement. Got a lot of really good stuff here today, folks. And because I really thought it was such an interesting interview, we broke it up into three parts. Part one, today, obviously, covers not only Diane's career and how she got into the profession, but also the history and evolution of the procurement profession by someone who has experienced it firsthand. Part two and three will be released November 3rd and cover Diane's accomplishments at NASPO, the importance of procurement in higher education, and what she sees for the future of the profession. That and so much more. So stay tuned for that. Really, it's a great interview. I got a lot of really great stuff out of our conversation, and I wouldn't break it up into three different episodes if I didn't think it was all really interesting, important information. A couple other notes. Email us with your questions and comments at podcasts at naspo.org. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get them sweet listens. Make sure you check out NASPO blog, pulse.naspo.org, to catch up on some procurement articles that are written by your very own NASPO staff. Let's take the pulse. Diane, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? I am doing well. Much better now that we're talking. Uh, Diane, this one's been a long time coming. You have had a notable and distinguished career. In procurement thus far. And you have an alphabet behind your name. And I really want to get into all of that. But we got to know, we got to start at the beginning. Where did you start? Where did this love for procurement and public service start? Thanks, Kevin. I'm glad you mentioned public service because I was thinking about this question. Where did it start? And I have to go back to my parents. Uh, I was raised by two professional people who were the first in their families, both of them, to graduate from college. My dad uh, went, ended up working his career in the federal government, working with the uh, native tribes up in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mom was a school teacher. Uh, she taught English and drama. And both of them were very proud to be what they considered 
public service professionals. Um, I can remember my dad visiting me in college one time and I introduced him to a guy I was dating and I thought was pretty cute. <laughs> and my dad afterwards said, you know, okay, I, I see that he's a pleasant enough guy, but what, what's he going to contribute? And that hmm. was my dad's standard uh, question. What are you going to do? What are you going to give back? Uh, and my parents lived that way. So right. I had the notion from an early time that I would be a professional of some sort. Um, didn't, didn't really know or, you know, wasn't sure about my parents, uh, what they did. But uh, as I went through school and I took classes, mm -hmm. uh, some of the classes that I liked best were related to accounting, finance, business management. And so I kind of kept going in that vein uh, and I got, to, got into an MBA program and I was convinced that I was going to be a professional accountant. I was going to be a certified public accountant. Uh, and I pretty much followed that, that path for quite a ways. Uh, actually worked for a public accountants firm for a little bit. I didn't like it. Uh, really? No. No, it was too, too dry. Uh, you're, it was recording all the events, keeping track of things that had happened. Everything has to balance. Um, it just didn't, I thought it, I got bored. So I, it, at one point we were talking, uh, you know, about career and, and career paths. At one point I actually went into private business uh, and, and worked uh, in a small business for many years um, but that was a real roller coaster, small like business. I, my hat's off to anybody who can do it. Uh, I was not, not particularly great at it. So I went back to the drawing board and I took a job with the state government here in Oregon uh, in accounting. That was how I got in, my foot in the door. Um, and, the, uh, and I joined it as a supervisor in accounting. You know, I started going to the local professional development association meetings, you know, the association of accountants, you know, because they said you got to network. Those years, you, you know, it was the idea was you dress for success, right. network, uh, do these things. And part of that uh, was that if you're going to join anything, you've got to volunteer. You got to have to help in order to be accepted. So I started to learn about those things. But I still didn't like the work. Um, it was boring. I just was bored, and I, and that to me has become the signal in my life that it's time to I, change. You better, yeah, you better do something. So, uh, literally, standing in the lunchroom one day at the office, I saw a job announcement for the purchasing group, the purchasing division that was upstairs. It was on the next floor up. And I stood there staring at it and somebody came by and said, hey, you know, that looks like a pretty good job. Maybe you should put in for it. Well, I did. I just, I you know, just did. And they didn't hire me. <laughs> wow, that surprised me. See, I thought you were going to say, and I got the job. No, I didn't get the job. <laughs> I didn't get the job. <clears throat> but the interview, uh, you know, another important lesson for me was uh, the interview, through that interview process, I met some of the people there and some of the other managers uh, because I, you know, through that. And uh, so I was kind of discouraged, but then another job opening came up uh, and um, uh, the one of the managers uh, called, 
downstairs to where I worked and said, hey, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you put, put your application in again? So I did. And the inter- interesting thing was the job was a new one. It was something that uh, they were just starting and it was quality assurance. Now, quality assurance in those days, this was 1985. Right. And quality assurance in purchasing was about literally about testing. They actually had a chemist on staff. They had a testing laboratory. They had a place where they could literally go. Uh, one of the big things they did was to test uh, traffic paint. Who huh. knew right. that <clears throat> traffic paint has you, you know wearability? And so we'd go out, and the Department of Transportation would lay down some stripes on a piece of uh, you know piece of road. And, and we'd get her, there'd be a team of people you'd go out and you'd, you'd literally, they'd, they'd uh, road test it for a while, let the right. traffic drive over it. And then you'd look to see, okay, which paint lasted longest? Uh, you know, how did it look after so much wear? And this was how in those days you literally qualified bidders uh, who were going to provide uh, products for use by the government. Well, Going I thought that was testing. cool. Yeah. yeah, field testing. Yeah. And, and that was cool after being for you know, being pretty much tied with accounting and you know, the keeping track of the books and the expenses. Now we're out in the field. We're out where the the real world. Um and I liked it. I liked it. Uh that was also a time great change in in uh, procurement. Uh, it, it, the 80s was a time when um government started to outsource and started to do service contracts. And this was really still quite new. Uh, things like outsourcing janitorial service. Um, mm-hmm. Traditionally, schools, universities, agencies, state government had its own janitorial crews. Well, right. they started privatizing. And so janitorial services, window washing, um, carpet cleaning, um, these are all things that are standard now. Standard now. Nobody thinks, you got to it, kind nobody of see thinks that. anything about it. Right. But in, but in those days, the building, you had people who took care of it, and they worked for the uh, agency, uh, the school, the university. Well, uh, I got into service contracts because the, uh, it was new. They didn't really have a lot of people on staff who, were, who wanted to do it because, again, it was new. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So, so I started uh, working in that field um, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I, we went out, so we'd go out on walk arounds <clears throat> and, and go out to the universities, to the schools, to uh, state buildings and whatnot. And you'd, mm-hmm. you'd do pre-bid conferences. We'd go out, you'd meet people, you'd walk around. Even agency, because I was quality assurance manager, if an agency had a problem with a vendor, they weren't keeping the place clean, then I literally would go to the agency. We'd call the vendor or the supplier. They'd come in. Uh, we'd walk around and the agency, we'd point out the problems. I'd take my little camera, take pictures, you know, old little snap camera um, to document contract issues. This was contract administration on the ground. Uh, and again, I loved it, hands-on. And for me, that that just resonated. I I and I loved talking to the business people. 
and mm-hmm. hearing their side of the story. You know, the agency would have this or that need or issues. Uh, I remember one time when we were doing a, a invitation to bid. And in those days, we were still fiddling with requests for proposals. We really hadn't got the hang of qualifications-based contracting yet. Yeah. <clears throat> so agencies would write up these specifications. And in janitorial services, uh, the specifications had to be pretty detailed. Right. The suppliers then would use that and make the pricing. Well, we had a major university, and I was in charge. This was uh, a little lesson learned. Uh, I was in charge of the... Uh, the project for the the bidding project forgot the trash can liners university (laughs) wanted trash can liners in every trash can and this included dormitories classrooms laboratories everywhere offices this universe and the major university you know thirty thousand students yeah well (laughs) we got to the end ready to make award to the low bid and it Thankfully, we had a meeting to talk about getting started and the subject of trash can liners came up and the, the bidder, the businessman person said, we didn't price in any trash can liners. Wow. The whole thing was trashed. We had to go. No pun intended. No. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> but we had to go. We had to rebid. Uh, I, of course, was totally embarrassed because yeah. I was a young, young manager just starting right. out. Uh, you know, I hadn't been there very long and, uh, you know, here, here we are the university, and, you know, university was mad and, and because they needed that contract of in course. Place to start a school. And so it was, it was, <laughs> it was a learning experience about detail management and about how, yes, Kevin, the small things, and this is part of what procurement people have to think about is it's often the dog you don't see that bites you the hardest. Yeah. And uh, so that wasn't my only failure, my only, you know, mess up, but uh, (laughs) it's sure, it's sure. It's interesting though, how you, how you've brought that with you throughout your career. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. As as kind of a milestone and something that you've, it's really taught you a lot. Yes. If you're really going to be a professional, you have to, um, you have to have those stories and you have to be able to keep them uh, and kind of build on them. Yeah. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you grounded and it reminds you of the simple things. And, and after all my years in the business of business and <laughs> which is procurement, uh, that's one of my big themes. Keep it simple. Uh, when you get too confused, when it looks too complex, when it just seems overwhelming, go back to the basics and uh, think about those trash can liners and I bet you, if you talk to 20 different procurement professionals who have any level of experience, they'll have some story to tell about the time they forgot or the time that they messed up. They'll have their trash can liner. They'll have their trash can liner story. It seems too, you know, and not to knock accounting uh, because it's a respected profession. It seems too, though, that there was a, a level of risk there that you also kind of, you liked you wanted in your profession, right? Yes, yes. And, I, and, and that's what I have found. One of the things I have found fascinating about public procurement as a profession is that there's always risk. Every time you open a project at so many places along the way, there's a risk. And it's a risk that 
you'll forget the trash can liners in the original description. Right. It's a risk that your invitation to propose won't get to the right people and you won't have the right companies that you expected to come to the table. And I could tell many stories of, of times that, uh, you know, the, the one or two or three companies that we had to have at the table didn't show up because something didn't get to the right person. Right. Um, it's, you know, and then it's, it's all along the way. As you get into contract negotiations, uh, contract negotiations is a, you know, we could go on for hours about contract negotiations. At the end of the day, it gets back to having the right people at the table talking about the right stuff uh, and getting down to what is real. What is real about this particular project? What is the, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, so I always go back down to those basics. How are you able to fit in? Cause you also have your law degree. Yes. What, what transpired to get you from the quality control to get your JD? Oh, okay. That's again, and you know, the saga of, of seeking, I guess, looking for professionalism, next, looking okay. for the next thing. Um, and one of my, personal beliefs is that you've got to think about your mission in life. Where, where is it that you want to end up? This is the same in project management. The first rule in project management is start with the end in mind. Now I'm not saying I've always had a 30 year plan. I bounced around from job to job and place to place, just like everybody else. But at some point you have to think about, all right, I like working in this area. And I knew that I, I started to get a little bit, Oh, I don't know if I was bored or just ambitious or wanted something a little different. So I took a job with the local school district and I was the purchasing director there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was okay. It was all right. But I was starting to feel like I just wasn't, I just didn't feel like I knew enough. And I had worked with some fantastic lawyers um, in, at the state and, and at the school district. And and in talking to the lawyers, when you go to them for problems, the ones that I talked to were advisors and they would say, okay, you know, the good ones would say, let's, let's, again, let's break this down. Let's talk about what the agency, what the state or the school district, what is really at stake here? What What is the outcome you want? Well, see, that's action. I can deal with action. All right. Uh, So then we'd make a plan. And mm-hmm. a good legal counsel, in my opinion, uh, doesn't, you're not, you're not going to go to court. What you're going to do is you're going to make a practical plan of what could we do to fix the situation so that we can all drive on. Uh, business people want to do business. Government right. wants goods and services procured. Nobody wants everything held up because you're fighting about it in a legal battle. Right. So... Uh, so I had, I had some, uh, I had some amazing, uh, uh, professional friendships with some attorneys that just, you know, and I just kept thinking, I want to know what they know. I got to know this. So I, uh, literally, uh, tapped my personal savings. Um, my husband was very supportive. I mean, he was, I, I mean, I was ready to cash out my retirement because I felt so strongly that I got to go back to school. I've got to learn. So I went back to school. Uh, I was accepted into law school uh, and uh, went uh, to school in the mid nineties. And I was in my forties. 
I uh, quit my job, took three years off. Uh, and, uh, you know, we ate a lot of wow. Top talk, talk about risk. Yeah. So I thought, okay, there's a lot good law school right here in town. Uh, I live in Oregon and there's a good law school right here in town. And, um, but it was a day school. And so I had to, to be willing to take the risk right. to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And I don't know where this is going to end up. I'm, I'm sure my husband was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I never get it. He trusted you though. He trusted you. Must have. <laughs> yeah, he did. And thankfully, we're still <laughs> yeah, married, right. it so paid off, I guess. Worked okay. <laughs> I had, you know, so I just basically bagged everything and went back to school full time for three years to get my uh, JD. Uh, the JD uh, changed my life again. Yeah. Uh, because I, you know, I went in with, yeah, I don't know, everybody has a romantic notion of being like the television attorneys, of you know. Of course. Uh, you know, sweeping into the courtroom, making the making yep. the great closing arguments. You can't and, handle and, the truth, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what I see when I think of a lawyer. Yeah. But the reality for me was um, I, I focused uh, it, it, as much as I could. In law school, you have to take a lot as standard. But right. I focused in every elective I took was about administrative law, constitutional law, contracts, um, uh, various classes that related to, uh, again, to government and to the way government works. Why does it work the way it does? Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time in law school. The, the, the truth of law school is that there's a fairly small percentage at the top who are young, ambitious, talented people who often are connect, well connected anyway because they're they've got knowledge of family or whatever in in law but to go into law practice you have to literally sacrifice your life for several years and they they these young the young lawyers that do take the law firm jobs uh they're going to be putting in 80 hours a week for years and and working very hard to build their knowledge of their craft well, I wasn't, I wasn't sure about that. And again, I didn't <laughs> want to commute to the big city, but I got a right. call. I got a call from a, a lady that I had worked for uh, when I was at the quality assurance job. And she was with the Department of Human Services. And she said, uh, uh, look, she said, I, I'm really proud of you that you've done this. You know, you've gone back to school and I've got a job opening that I'd really like you to consider. Well, the job opening was, it, in many ways, right up my alley. It was the running the um, administrative policy side for, this was the children's welfare division. Okay. So it was right. uh, running their uh, training program. It was the home office stuff. It was administrative uh, policies, training programs, um, contracting. Mm -hmm. And I had hundreds of millions of dollars worth of contracts under my watch. Um and let me tell you, contracting in human services for clients, for children's welfare practice is completely different. It was the most complicated contract work I had ever faced. I it I I it burnt me out. Yeah. Uh, the it, it was um, it was tough tough work, and uh, there was a political change, um, reorganization, budget crises. 
crises and uh, the job of uh, the state procurement office again came ah. back up. This time it was the chief procurement officer. Yes. And uh, so I put in for it. And uh, in 2001, uh, I took that job and moved back over to the office that I had started from. Procurement reared its ugly head once again. Once again. You know, one, one thing that I've learned uh, working at NASPO, procurement chooses you in a, lot of, in a lot of respects. And I think if you work in procurement, and I, in effect, do not, but I work directly with those in procurement, and I've heard that from so many yeah. people. You get hooked. You get hooked. Yeah. I can still remember the first time that um, I had done a contract for the aviation agency. and they Isn't that just fascinating to speak with someone that has so much experience, hands-on experience in the field of public procurement? I mean, she has seen it all. If you like this episode, and I know that you did, we have two more parts, like I said. Coming to you November 3rd. Stay tuned for those. Diane and I discuss the importance of procurement in academia. We discuss her views on the future of public procurement and some of the accomplishments that she's most proud of through her time at NASPO. You really get a sense of why the public procurement profession is so important. We will be wrapping up the first season of the NASPO Pulse in mid-November, but don't fret, Pulse Takers, because season two is on the way in 2021. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcasts are sold. Make sure you check out pulse.naspo.org to read up on some timely blogs written by your very own NASPO staff. I'm Kevin Miner. Until next time.